I turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. For though we have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Not many fathers. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, the solitary nature of the father, the solitary nature of the father. You may be seated and thank you for standing. Paul is writing this epistle as is often the description of these books in the New Testament, letters, epistles. He's writing uh, this particular one to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians are the letters that he wrote. He founded uh, these churches through his missionary journeys, and then he would write letters to help establish them in their new faith. And here he says in this one verse, he makes reference to something that's not um, something that we read about on a regular basis throughout the Word of God. Uh, it's, it's somewhat out of the ordinary. But he makes this statement, though, there be thousands of instructors and tutors to guide you in your walk. Uh, fathers in the gospel are few. He was distinguishing himself uh, from all the other teachers and preachers that perhaps were uh, coming through Corinth. Corinth at that particular time, not far from Athens, um, is, is an area where uh, it was sort of a crossroads, a lot of different culture and trade and whatnot. And there was uh, a lot of different voices. There were soothsayers. There was witchcraft. There was uh, all sorts of um, spirits, I'm sure, in that area. There, there were a, a lot of voices. There was um, a, an area with what we would consider today to be kind of like a college town. Uh, so there were professors and so forth and and uh, there was no doubt a lot of different uh, voices in the lives of these these new Christians, but he 's saying uh, what, what what I have to say is not just a, a voice or an opinion among many opinions uh, he He was saying i i I am your father in the gospel, and uh, because he had that role, uh, he felt the liberty to speak to them very uh, direct and in the chapters that preceded the verse that we read, he had taken that liberty. He, he had spoken in a very uh, direct way about uh, certain attitudes and behaviors and things that, that they needed to continue to work on as they grew in their Christianity. And he wanted them to know that he had taken that liberty because he was their father in the Lord. And that a father has that right. A father is not just another opinion in your life, but he's not another peer. Uh, he's in a class of very few authority figures in your life. And I, I think that uh, it, it bears repeating maybe something that we already know, but if you have not uh, had a, a good earthly father, you can have an unbelievable heavenly father. Uh, and if you have had a good earthly father, then you can have a good earthly father and a great heavenly father it's not exclusive one way or the other but what is good to know 
is that God, hallelujah, can become that father to each and every one of us. And what a great God we serve that he would uh, fill that role. But in Paul saying that there are not many fathers, it sort of uh, brings to light a, a portion of uh, the nature of God that I think is worth our examination this morning. And that is simply the exclusive nature of this role of being a father that the Lord fills in our life. We, we know that this exclusive nature of being a father is something that has been a part of the nature of God from the very beginning. Uh, Jesus, uh, which we know was God manifest in the flesh, he was never really one to seek out the crowds. Now the crowds found him because of the miraculous work that he was doing and because of his teaching. But he was not one that looked for the crowds. Like, you know, how many people are going to be at the synagogue today? And, and, and let's go to the market where there's a maximum number of people. Uh, he, he was not that uh, type of teacher. He was um, one that would seek out the individual. And uh, he would meet the individual's needs. I'm, I'm so glad today that we still serve that same God who cares about the single individual. He, he doesn't have to uh, have polling data to figure out what's the most popular trend of the day. He doesn't have to have focus groups to determine what's going to play well with the masses. He is simply a God, hallelujah, that if you're hurting, He can heal you. If you're suffering, He's a God that can meet your needs. He's a God that is as close as the mention of His name. You don't have to have the masses. You don't have to have a large crowd. All you got to do is have one man or woman that has a hungry heart that says, God, I need you and the Lord will find you. What a blessing that is. And so uh, he, he never, in his earthly ministry, he never needed the, the masses to, to validate his mission or his ministry. And that... That, that is, is played out throughout all of scripture because if you go all the way back, uh, to creation, uh, God didn't have to create an army. He created one man. One man. Adam. And one woman. Eve. And from that, here's you and me. We all, I don't know why people get all crossways about race because we all came from one man and one woman. We all came from Adam and Eve. And so he creates one man and one woman. And of course, you know, it, it just keeps here. We are thousands of years later. And, and we understand that the nature of God is that God doesn't need everybody. He just needs a few. Where two or three are gathered together. He didn't need a civilization to save Humanity from the flood. He just needed one righteous man that found favor in the eyes of God. He didn't adopt an entire nation to make a, a people unto himself. He chose one man, Abraham, the father of faith. And from that one man came a people near and dear to the heart of God. One man. He didn't need an army to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. Just one man. A fugitive, as it were who was living in, in hiding out in the desert. 
and dealing with the shame of his youthful mistakes. And Moses, under the hand of God, leads the children of Israel out of bondage. God doesn't have to save the entire planet. Though it's not his desire that any would perish. The kingdom of God is not dependent on the masses. If I can say it this way, he just needs a few good men. <laughs> it's not only the armed forces, it's God Almighty. All he needs is a few good men. A few good men that love righteousness. A few good men that will be honest and loyal. A few good men that are faithful to their God and their families. A few good men that will pray when others mock. A few good men that will fight when others run. A few good men that will fast when others feast. A few good men that will forgive while others are holding grudges. God doesn't need everybody. He just needs a few good men. Because the nature of God is the nature of solitude. He could swear by no other. So he swore by himself. I am that I am. There's an interesting uh, example of this in Scripture. David, that we read about in the Old Testament, I'm sure there were many times in his life when he felt all alone. He was really not one of the gang. He, he was not necessarily a popular kid he he wasn't his father's favorite he certainly wasn't like joseph in the old testament we read about joseph joseph was loved by his father gave him a coat of many colors which was uh, something that was um took a sacrifice to make all those different dyes and colors and it was a, a tremendous amount of money went into so he joseph was and, and his brothers you know they they were bitter about it and, and sold him into slavery and you know the story of joseph that's a, an obvious case of being the father's favorite. But that's not the story of David. David wasn't necessarily his father's favorite. David had the job nobody else wanted, messing with all the noisy, smelly sheep. And his brothers were not really bitter toward him. But they were just sort of indifferent. It was almost like he wasn't even on the radar. In fact, when Samuel, who was the prophet of the day, was coming to your house, that's a pretty big deal. Everybody gathered together, and, and he was going to Jesse's house, Jesse, David's father, and, and said, you know, I'm anointing a king, I'm bringing him a horn of oil, and that was a big deal. And, and so he got all the brothers, all they all lined up, and they all, you know, took baths and, and put on their best sandals, and everybody lined up, and who, can you imagine, is it going to be him, is it going to be that one? They all, you know, maybe tried to figure out who they, they got worked up and flexed and made sure they were, they looked pretty stocky, you know, there's a king that could do battle, and. And uh, I don't know what all they did to prepare for Samuel's visit, but they did everything they could to show they were ready to be the king. And they didn't even bother to invite David. And so Samuel, you know, oil in the first one, the second, it goes all the way down. The Lord's like, no, 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 no. And they get to the very end and he says, you got any more sons, Jesse? Maybe there's something wrong with the horn of oil. This is the cream of the crop. This is the best of the best. Do you have any other? Oh, yes. There's one other one. We forgot he was even a part of the family. There's this little guy. That's the, he's, he's kind of, the Bible even described him as ruddy. He was just kind of insignificant. But what is insignificant to man can be very significant to God. 
Nobody else paid him any attention. But David out there all by himself learned how to worship God. And you know what? If you're faithful in small things, God's going to reward you openly. You don't need the accolades of man. All you've got to do is be in relationship with your heavenly father. And God will make a way for you. Yes, he will. David out there, but he's all by himself. And he learned how to function in solitude. And he learned how to worship God. And finally he sees somebody running down the hill and says, who in the world is that? Oh, I recognize that. That's one of my dad's servants. David, they want you at the house. Why? Did you know what Samuel had told all the others? He said, go get David, and we're not going to sit down until he gets here. Samuel knew how God worked. And so they did. They stood there standing the whole time, and David's like, well, watch the sheep. And he runs down there. He's all dirty and messy and all that. But he runs down there, comes in the house, and they're all standing there. And he looks around like, uh-oh, I must be in trouble. Have you ever had that moment where you walk in and you're like, something's not right, the room is off? <laughs> Samuel says, come here, David. And he's, as he pours that oil on him, the Lord said, he's my chosen vessel. What a good God we serve. Not esteemed by his brothers, his peers, not even his family. He was a loner. Him and the sheep, they wandered together. Not invited to the house. But guess what? God keeps good books. And every day when David felt all by himself, but he would play his harp and begin to sing, How great is our God. Sing with me how great. <laughs> That's beautiful, Ellie. Our God. <laughs> he learned how to worship God. Oh, my friend, if you'll learn how to worship God, you'll never be by yourself. You may be driving to work in your car, but if you'll start to sing, your car will fill up with the presence of God. You may be going to a public school and you're the only one trying to serve God, but you're not by yourself. Hallelujah. There's a heavenly father that'll walk the halls with you. He'll go to your job with you. Hallelujah. No matter where you are, if there's a worshiper nearby, God will be there. David learned something about God that up to that point really was hidden. But because of David's relationship with the Heavenly Father, he gave us a portal. And really, all of humanity changed. And, and man began to learn about how close God is through worship. And David was the one that sort of broke that barrier, as it were. And he did it in his solitude. He found that he could get close to God. Listen to some of his writings, Psalm 68, 1. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. This is his worship. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melted before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. 
Sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah. Jah, J-A-H. Just like of Jehovah. Jah, that literally means sacred name or the Lord vehement. That was like Jah. He said, sing and praise his name, Jah, and rejoice before him. He is a sacred God with a sacred name and he is a mighty God. David had a revelation. He wasn't just worshiping a God among many gods. He was worshiping the Jehovah God. Yahweh. He knew who he was singing unto. He knew who he was in fellowship with. He knew that when he praised God, he wasn't just filling the atmosphere of those green meadows with his voice. He was in harmony and fellowship with God. It doesn't matter what you may be going through. If you begin to understand that the mighty God in Christ is close to you. Mm. Fill the room. He said, he's a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows, his God in his holy habitation. And then he gives us another revelation right here. Verse six, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Once again, showing that contrast. He said, he setteth the solitary in families. If you're feeling like you're all by yourself. He said, you better understand that 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 mighty God, he will set you in the midst of a family. In your solitary, God will let you know you are not by yourself. Before you, behind you, always beside you. They were singing about it today. You're not ever going to be by yourself. Because David said, I've learned that he setteth the solitary in families. Oh, hallelujah. He's going to make a place for me in this church. He's going to make a place for me in the family of God. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what kind of lonely path you've taken. You're here now. And God said, you're a part of the family of God. You are my child. And I'm your father. For all of those that were alone, or even if they felt alone, like David did, God gave them a family. David looked at those sheep and he didn't just see animals that needed babysitting. He didn't view those sheep as a burden. You can tell the way he cared for them. He loved them. He saw them as his family. Because God will put people in your life that others may look at as just a burden but they minister to you because they're there by the hand of God I'm not by myself the God of glory has set me in a family I got brothers and sisters oh hallelujah Oh, my friend, if you want to have friends, you ought to walk with God because God has a promise that he gave to us through his servant, David, that he put us in a family. If you want to have people around you on every side, you ought to go ahead and say, Lord, I'm going to just dedicate myself to you. I'm going to tell you what, you'll never be by yourself. You're going to have people praying for you that you don't even know about. You've got people praying for you that are across the oceans that have never even met you. But because he has made you a part of the family of God, you're not ever going to be by yourself David wasn't alone when he faced Goliath he was in the middle of the presence of Jehovah God 
He went down there. Can you imagine the feeling of intimidation? Here's this giant of a man representing the Philistine army. Nine feet tall, got the spear like a weaver's beam. I mean, it's so big. He just says, send me a man to fight. He wanted a challenge. Nobody on the Israeli side was willing to fight him. Except David. And everybody thought David was just trying to be a show-off. You're gonna, they're going to turn you into hamburger meat. What are you thinking? Even the king, he had to go get the, talk to the king to get permission. The king was like, well, here, yeah, you go. Wear my armor. He said, I, I haven't earned this. I don't, I don't deserve that. I'm I just going to tell you this. God was with me when a bear come up and tried to steal the sheep and, and, and when a lion tried to come. And, and you know what? I, I was able to get, God helped me and gave me victory. He'll do the same thing with this giant. Mm. He learned he was never alone. I'm going to tell you something else. Sickness can make you feel alone sometimes. But I've come to tell somebody in this building today, you are not alone. God's going to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't fear no evil, nothing harmed, nothing's going to come against you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. But God Almighty is going to walk with you through the valley of Elah. And don't be intimidated by what is on the other side. Jesus is your friend. A friend that's sticking closer than a brother. He's going to walk with you in the midst of it all. David, what are you doing? You think you can fight a giant? The giant was insulted. He wanted a challenge at least. He said, what are you going to do? Sticks, you're going to run me off like a dog? Who in the world? Who is this kid? I'm going to feed you to the birds. Come here, boy. David stops and gets him a little stone. Puts a few more in his bag in case he misses with the first one. He got some backup. But he only needed one. Because of the solitary nature of the Father. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. I wish I had all day to preach this. God just needs one stone. He don't need five. You've got a bunch of backups. You've got all kinds of things in case God doesn't move. You and I and our humanity, we got parachutes. We got backup plans. We got plan B, D, E, F, all the way to Z. But God said, all I need is one shot. All I need is one man or woman that says, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hiding. Here I am, Lord. You say, but pastor, I haven't been a good person all my life. All God needs is one minute of your life. All God needs is one honest moment to say, I need you, Lord. All he needed was one stone. There it goes. The first heat-seeking missile. (laughs) God guides that rock finds its target the one area of his body that wasn't protected with armor hit him right in the head people have tried to analyze this I read a book one time by Malcolm Gladwell called David and the Giant talked about how he was the giant was this physical specimen and he had a big growth on his head and All this they try to explain. Man has always tried to explain the supernatural in natural terms. 
just say it was a miracle and move on. He gives this big explanation as to why that hit. But he hit them that rock. I'm going to tell you what. And the Lord guided that thing, increased its velocity. You just swing and give it all the strength you got. But then once it gets airborne, God takes it and turns it into a supersonic rock. <laughs> when it hit his head, it embedded into his head. <laughs> Timber. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. That giant fell over. The Philistines couldn't believe it. They were still out there drinking, partying, barbecuing, tailgating, thinking it was all over. They all jumped up. What? Goliath is falling. Before they could react, David ran over there, pulled that giant's, his own spear out, took him two hands to pick it up. Cut his head off. Reached out there and grabbed that giant by the, by the hair. Held up his head. You say, now pastor, you're just making that up. Read your Bible. Hey, he still had that head when they called him before King Saul. And everybody else is running around now and the killing the Philistines take off running and the Israelites is like, it happened another giant and they all start chasing everybody run. David just still walking around with the head. How you like this? You ain't so bad now, are you? What's that about feeding me to the bears and the birds? Had a puppet show. Holding on to that. Carried it with him. They took the armor and put it in a tent. But he had that head with him. In case anybody wants to know who killed him. I got the evidence. Blood still dripping out the bottom of it. He's walking around with that head. You got to go see the king now. All right, let's go. Had that head with him. Woo, folks. Some of y'all need to hang on to some victories God has given you. I think we're, I think we turn loose of victories too quick. God does something great for you and you just say and say, thank you, Lord. And you put it on the, on the, on the shelf and you move on to something else. You ought to carry that head around with you a while. You ought to carry that promise around with you for a while. You ought to carry that victory around with you for a while. Aren't you the one? Yep. I sure am. And here it is. I still got the victory. I still got the evidence. I'm still worshiping. I'm still saying, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. He's now dealing with insecurities and jealousies of the king. King Saul said, I'm going to take your life. He's now a fugitive running for his life. And even now, once again, he's got to deal with the loneliness. But he serves a God, a heavenly father that has a solitary nature. And in Psalms 107 and verse 1, he says, David writing, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he's good. 
for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, I feel like I need to just stop and stay at this for just a moment. It's important to not just know that the Lord is good. It's important for the redeemed of the Lord to say so. It's not enough to just think God is good. It's not enough to just hang around with people that know He's good. It's not enough to just go to church where people are saying He's good. You ought to use your mouth and declare it. The Lord is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If I'm going to be a lone, solitary voice, I'm going to use my voice and say God is good and His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now watch this, verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. You see, before he was talking about how he takes those in solitude And puts them in families. Now he says. Because of his own personal experience. His revelation is growing. About this. Solitary nature of the God he serves. He said now I'm learning something else. That God is gathering us out of all the lands. From the east and the west. From the north and the south. Wandering in the wilderness. In a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Every time David tried to find a place to live for a little bit with his little band of merry men, his little ragtag group of fugitives, they'd be there for a while and they'd have to leave. And over here, they even had to go and live with the Philistines for a while because they, they were, they, 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 you talk about caught between a rock and a hard place. They couldn't go home to their families. They couldn't go back to Israel. And the Philistines were the enemy. And the Philistines let them stay for a while. But then some of the generals said, Oh, king, we remember David running around holding that giant's head in his hand. And we're not real comfortable going to battle and him and his group carrying up the rear. Be good for you to send him on his way. I mean, they, David knew what it was like not to have a place to even put up a tent. And when he went back to Ziglag, which is a little area that the Philistines had given him left, the Malachites had come in and robbed, took all the families and all the, the kids and the wives and all the possessions and took off. And he went there and all of his men said, now what are we going to do? They took up stones to kill him. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. What do you want me to do, God? Pursue. Why? Because they wandered in the wilderness. In a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. What's he talking about? He's talking from personal experience. He knows what it's like when his own men are turning on it. He knows what it's like when his own king turned on it. He knows what it's like. When the enemy has stolen everything that's precious to you. Hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. Oh, he's talking about himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He calls out to God, oh God, what do you want me to do, Lord? 
And the Lord delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way. They found the right path. They found the little servant from Egypt that told them where the Amalekites were. They came over the hill. They saw them down there partying with all of their possessions and all of their food and all of their families. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. David realized he's not just a God to be glorified. I'm his child, and he is my father. The wonderful works to the children of men. David is saying, not only does he take those in solitude and put them in families, not only does he adopt us into the royal family. David and Paul, you'll see a lot of similarity. David in the Old Testament, Paul in the New Testament, they had this revelation. Paul talked about it. He has grafted me in as a wild olive branch. Made me a part of the family. Whereby we cry, Abba Father. Because he's given us the spirit of adoption. Paul had the same revelation in Romans that David talks about in Psalms. They learned that God is not just some force out there beyond the Milky Way. He is a personal Savior. He is a God that is as close as the mention of his name. David learned that about God. That he was my father. You can go to your father at any time. Call upon him. David learned that. He learned that not only would God take those in solitary and put them in families, but for those that didn't have a place, he would prepare a place. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there ye shall be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there ye shall be also. Not only are you always going to have a family, you're always going to have a place. There's always going to be a place for the redeemed. There's always going to be a place for a worshiper. There's always going to be a place for a man or a woman that has a revelation that God is not against you. He is for you. He is not against you. He is on your side. Oh, you ought to clap your hands and you ought to shout with your voice. He is good. David learned that God was his father. He was in relationship with him. Up until then, the view of God was very austere, the distant being. They knew him as a God of judgment, a God of laws from the Old Testament, a God of righteousness and holiness. But David found a father. He found a God of close proximity. He found a God of mercy and love. He found a dad. That's the same thing that Paul found in Romans because he refers to the Lord as Abba Father, which means dad. It denotes more than just position. It denotes closeness, relationship. So there's three things I want to leave with you today. First of all, he is 
your father in relationship. He is your father in relationship. How is he our father in relationship? Because you were begotten by him. How do you know who your daddy is? Who has begotten you? Paul was telling the church in Corinth, I'm your father in the gospel because you are begotten of me. And when we read about this revelation that they got about being in relationship with the father, they realized that we are in relationship with the father because he has begotten us through creation. But he's our father twice over. He's our father in creation and he's our father in redemption. (laughs) So ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to live in fear of any situation. You don't have to live in fear of any person. You don't have to live in fear of any position. You are in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who sits upon the circle of the earth and heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He is your heavenly father. So you don't have to fear. I told him in the first service, I remember when I was a boy about four years old, my parents were pastoring in a little town up in the panhandle of Florida called Port St. Joe. Had a big paper mill in the middle of the city. And uh, my, my father was pastoring a, a, a small church there. I was about one year old when they... They moved there, and so two, three, four, five is where I first remember as a kid is, is Port St. Joe. I have great memories of that area, beautiful beaches. At that time, it wasn't world famous. They just had a big paper mill there, but we all loved it. We lived there. There was about 3,000 people in the city. We played on those beaches, and they were amazing. And now there's thousands of houses all over it. They've shut down the paper mill, and they found out there's more money in real estate than there is in paper mills. So they closed it down, and... Port St. Joe Paper Company, Arvana, they developed all those cities up there now on those beautiful coasts. Well, that's where we grew up. My parents pastored a small church there before we moved here in 1971. And so I had great memories of that area. One of the things I remember is that every year they had an oyster-eating contest. And in the main street, which was just uh, sort of like this side street right over here, that was the main street. And... Uh, there was no lights or anything. You could walk down it as well as, as drive a car down it. But they'd put tables all down there. and People would all come around and they would all enter the oyster eating contest. And, and you, you'd eat as many raw oysters as you could. If you eat more than everybody else, you're the winner. And the guy who won, the one year that I remember, I was about four years old. The guy who won, he ate over a hundred dozen, didn't he? It was a lot. And when they couldn't eat anymore, because you know how oysters are, especially raw ones, they go down real slow like they're on an escalator. And they would get up and wiggle to get them to go down because after about 200 of them, they just won't go down by themselves anymore, I guess. The guy that won, he worked for the city or something. He was always on the side of the highway cleaning up and stuff. Maybe he was in prison. Maybe they let him out for the oyster eating contest. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, after he won that oyster eating contest, you would have thought he was Tom Cruise. When people would drive by, he'd just stop and wave like that at the car. Oyster king. 
He won that one. But I remember my dad saying, son, get on your boots. We're going down to the Orange Street. And I had these little cowboy boots I was so proud of. I was like, my good cowboy boots? I'm wearing my good cowboy boots? Yep, the governor of Florida is going to be there. What's that? He's the guy in charge of the whole state. Oh, the king. All right. So I slipped on my little cowboy boots and we went down the main street to watch the Orange Street contest. And I remember my dad taking me and putting me up on his shoulders. Because you know when you're little, it's hard to see down there. I don't care if you do have on nice cowboy boots. You can't see nothing down there. Nobody can see your boots down there. You're down there in the gutter. And so he put me up. But when I got up on my dad's shoulders, I hung them boots over the front of his chest and held on to his hair. And we stand around the line, and here comes the governor. Was it Claude Kirk? Yes. That was the governor? Now, he was a tall guy, but he wasn't as tall as me on my daddy's shoulders. <laughs> here comes the governor of Florida coming down the line. And I'm saying, I can tell he was important because people was all crowding up there wanting to shake his hand. And he comes right down through there, and he stops and looks at me, and I smile at him. He said, there were some nice cowboy boots you got there, son. I said, thank you very much. I wasn't scared of that governor. I was taller than he was up there on my dad's shoulders. He went on down the line. When you realize that you sit on the shoulders of the heavenly father, who's the king of the universe... You don't have to worry about nobody or nothing. Nobody can intimidate you. Nobody can make you afraid. You say, how's that? Because I am in relationship with the Father. Hallelujah. I am His child and He is my Father and I love Him and He loves me and nothing can separate me from the love of my Father. Come on, somebody. You need to quit living in fear. You need to climb up on the shoulders of your father and realize that no weapon formed against you can prosper. There is no sickness. There is no ailment. There is no obstacle in this life that can take you out. I feel safe up there. I feel important when I'm in the presence of the father. Isaiah 40, verse 9, the prophets of old started realizing this. O Zion, that bring us good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. Isn't that great how God puts you up on high places? He sets you up on high places. O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. And his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. With that arm of strength, it's also an arm of mercy and love that he gathers the sheep. He'll carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. What a great God we serve. What a father, what a protector. He is your provider. He is your protector. He lifts you up on high places. Even when you feel down and discouraged, He says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Your redemption draweth nigh. 
the prophets of old begin to learn of a heavenly father that was in relationship with the righteous. A, a heavenly father that was reachable. A heavenly father that loved them. Isaiah goes on to talk about the coming Messiah in the ninth chapter of the book that bears his name. And he says he would be a wonderful counselor. Not an austere counselor. Not a God of judgment and pain. But he's a wonderful counselor. And he is an everlasting father. That was not just some uh, genetic, uh, uh, generic prophecy of, of optimistic origins. No. He's saying he's the one. He is the only one. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. But he's also the everlasting father. He's not one of many. He's the only one. of the Father. Jesus. You ought to lift your hands and your voices now and receive that word from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. can't be in relationship with Baal. He's not your father. You're not begotten by Baal or Buddha or Beelzebub. You were begotten by Jehovah God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
Don't ever forget it. Bind it on your hands. Put it in your forehead. Speak of it as you're going in and out. Even today in Israel, they touch it. It's right there, wrapped up in a small scroll. Right there in menorahs, before you go into the door, they touch it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Because he's my father in creation. He's my father in relationship. We are begotten by him. That's why it's important to understand how you were created. You're not just some accident of nature. You were begotten by the father. He loves you. He reaches for you. He's not only your father in relationship. He's your father in fellowship. You can be in fellowship with him. Peace and harmony and love that you cannot find in this world. You can have success. You can climb the top of the mountain and it'll be empty. Unless you find fellowship with your father. With your heavenly father. John says, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. He's talking about Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Why? That ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father. John had that great revelation. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John had the revelation that the Father manifested Himself in flesh so He could be in fellowship with us. Because God is a spirit and how are you going to fellowship with a spirit? But you can be in fellowship with a heavenly father that has manifested himself unto you. You say, but preacher, we didn't live during those years when God robed himself in flesh and walked among the Galileans, came down to Jerusalem. We didn't have the opportunity to be in fellowship of the manifestation of the Father. Oh, my friend, you're right about that, but it didn't stop there. Because he's not only the Father in relationship, he's not only the Father in fellowship, he's the Father in salvation. And when God was here as man robed in flesh, he poured himself into 12 disciples poured himself into worshipers like Mary Magdalene who didn't have a pedigree. She'd been delivered from seven devils, but guess what? She learned how to worship God. And the Lord stayed close to her. She was the first one that knew of his resurrection because she was a worshiper. When you're a worshiper, you're going to get revelation. doesn't matter what your past is. It matters about can you worship him right now? From where you're at right here. 
Yes, the fellowship required a sacrifice. But through that sacrifice, through Calvary, came the power of the resurrection. That's why Paul said in Philippians that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Because we're moving now into a relationship and a fellowship through the promise of the Father. It doesn't make sense the fact that the Lord chose Peter to be the messenger of this. But again, God chooses the ones that man wouldn't choose. An unlikely candidate, Peter, impetuous, a brawler by nature, sort of a fight or flight kind of guy, but had a heart bigger than the Sea of Galilee. In the end, isn't it always the heart that God responds to? Peter makes some mistakes in that final week before the crucifixion of Jesus. But by the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, he has recovered. He is delivered from fear. He's sitting on the shoulders of his father. He knows who he is. He knows what his mission is. His mission is to declare that Jesus was the Messiah. And you guys missed it. But. (laughs) I mean, with no hesitation or trepidation, he stands up with the 11. We pick up the narrative in Acts 2. He stands out there on the porch of the upper room. He sets his voice like a trumpet and he declares for all of those that are gathered in the streets to try to make sense of what's going on up there. He says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands you have crucified and slain. This doesn't sound like the way that you, you know, win friends and influence people. But he's clear as to what his mission is. Jesus is the Messiah. You slew him, you took him with your wicked hands, but God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and here it comes, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, God manifests Himself as the Son of Man through Jesus. That was for a particular time so that that sacrifice, Calvary, would put us in fellowship with Him. But as He ascends and goes back into heaven, He kept telling His followers, Go to Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued with power from on high because I'm going to send the promise of the Father. He's going to now manifest himself through the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. And he tells them that gather there, it's the promise of the Father. Power of the resurrection is proof positive that the Father brought salvation through Jesus Christ. But now it's the Holy Ghost, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Father flowing through the Son as one God that raised Jesus from the dead and set in motion, salvation, so that you and I in 2021 can stand in the presence of a holy God 
Jehovah, the sacred one, and lift up hands and worship him as his servant David did and feel the presence and the spirit of God flow through us and know that that one true God has manifested himself through the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That's why millions of people all over the world are being filled with the Holy Ghost. Changed me, Holy Ghost. Set me free. Peter continues, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It's not over with, folks. It's just starting. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. People that gathered were convicted. They said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. I don't see anywhere in the earthly ministry of Jesus where 3,000 people were added to them. But now, because of the promise of the Father and the outpouring of His Spirit, we come in fellowship with the Father through the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When the food left, the crowd left. When Jesus talked about the suffering of the crucifixion, they all turned and walked away. And He said to those that were in His inner circle, will you too also leave? And Peter said, where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. But when the Holy Ghost is poured out, 3,000 souls, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly, watch this, in the apostles' doctrine, that's salvation, and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayer. They had fellowship, they had relationship, and they had salvation. So that then Paul caps it off in Romans 8 when he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they have become the sons of God how does humanity enter into relationship with deity ladies and gentlemen it is through the outpouring of the spirit of God that's why the Bible said if you have not the spirit of Christ you're none of his you gotta have the Holy Ghost to be saved you gotta have the Holy Ghost to be in relationship with the Father And the Holy Ghost is given. Every man, woman, boy, and girl. It doesn't matter what side of this planet you're on. You may be on an island in the Pacific. But a man or a woman can bow their knee and lift up their hands. And the God of glory will come down and fill them with His Spirit. Would you stand to your feet all over this building? Oh, I feel the relationship and the fellowship of the Father in this building. What better time than on a day when people acknowledge their natural fathers? What better time for you to be in relationship 
with your heavenly father. You say, preacher, how does that happen? All you got to do is ask. It's for whosoever will. For the promise is to you and to your children. And I'm so glad that Peter added, and to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Come on, some of us were afar off. God reached for us. Come on, I got a place for you in the family. If you've never received the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that when you receive the Holy Ghost, the evidence of it is that you begin to speak words you don't understand. The Bible describes it as speaking in tongues. It's what they had, it's what happened in the the upper room the day of Pentecost they heard them speak with tongues they heard them speak words they didn't understand it was languages from where they were from not the Jerusalem area how can this be? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia Pontus and Asia how can it be? evidence the promise of the Father so that you and I no matter where we are We can lift up our hands and say, Lord, I receive your spirit into my life. And as you begin to worship him, the Lord takes those words, turns it into a heavenly language. Say, how do I receive that? All you got to do is step out of where you're standing. Come down to this altar. You say, why do we have to go to the altar? All throughout the Bible, you'll read where man had a meeting place with God and it was at the altar this altar this is where we've seen people get out of wheelchairs this is where people have been delivered from addictions this is where people thousands of people have received the gift of the Holy Ghost the promise of the Father it's a place of intersection between our scars our mistakes our failings and the holy presence of God It's an altar to meet with the Father. Would you come right now, wherever you're at, step out of where you're standing, come to this altar. This is your altar. This is your altar. Here I come, Lord. Here I come, Lord. I want to be in fellowship. I'm not going to try to fix everything before I get there. I'm going to just come as I am. Come on, there's still some room for you. There's still room in this hall. Yes, I am, Lord. Free indeed.
Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Now lift your hands and just begin to worship Him. Lord, I use my voice to declare your glory. You're a good God, Lord. Forgive me of every sin, Lord. Cleanse me, oh God, from the top of my head. Feet, oh God, wash me with your word, oh God. I feel your love, Lord. I feel your presence. I bless you with my voice. I worship you with my whole heart. You're not against me, Lord. You're for me. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. 